The 2023 minor league season is over, but not every top prospect had a good year. Let's talk about who didn't and why. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more, because right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. When you look at the 2023 season, obviously we saw a lot of prospects really show up and show out, but not every top prospect had a good year. And so I went into MLB Pipeline's list, Baseball America's list, and looked for some of the top 100 prospects who fell down the rankings. To, and let's see if we can figure out why, and is it something that feels like it's easily fixable? And the biggest one to me the biggest guy who's dropped significantly from when he was drafted to now is Rangers right-hander Jack Leiter. He, when he was drafted out of Vanderbilt, this was he was seen as, I'm not going to call it a can't miss because nobody's a can't miss, right? But he was seen as like the most polished college arm, should be a fast mover. They sent him straight to AA in 2022 with the idea of you probably would be seeing him in Texas right now competing. And instead, he just finished his second straight season in AA Frisco. He got one start in AAA Round Rock at the end of the year. It did not go well. We'll get to that later. But 20 total games this year. For Jack, 19 in AA Frisco, one in AAA Round Rock, two and six with a 519 ERA, 114 strikeouts in 85 innings, so 12.1 per nine, very good results there. 49 walks, 5.2 per nine, 16 home runs allowed. He went on the development list multiple times this year, and you can see some of the improvement from his time on the development list. And the big goal. What, like, what Texas was trying to do is they really wanted to streamline his mechanics, streamline his delivery. He got four starts in AA after coming off the development list the second time. And in those four starts, 0-1, so he t- took a loss, 3-3-1 ERA in 16 and a third innings, 25 strikeouts to four walks. He gave up four extra base hits. Three of those were home runs. That was the issue there. So the issues for Jack Leiter, it came down to a couple things. One is his pitch mix doesn't disguise very well. Okay. It's a, he had a very quick and fast delivery and the fastball had the fantastic lap. 95 to 95, 96 miles an hour could touch 99. So he had the stuff, right? But when he missed, he would miss middle. He would get rocked for home runs. He wasn't consistently throwing strikes. And then he significantly struggled against lefties because when you look at what he throws a fastball, he throws a vertical breaking curveball that does not disguise very well at all. And then he throws a slider. 
and a lefty, that slider is going to break in on the lefty. It is, that is the only real pitch you have to watch for as far as a pitch that can beat you because you can spot the curveball out of the hand. He probably can't land it for a strike anyway. And then the fastball, if he misses on the fastball, it's something you're going to be able to rock. And you can, when you look at what lefties were able to do against him, it makes a little bit of sense there. The overall slash line for a lefty wasn't as good as a righty, but nine of his 16 home runs came off of left-handed batters, despite the fact that he faced less lefties than he did righties. So uh, some stuff to do there. So when he went on the development list, the things that they tried to work on is one, the tempo. He threw, like his pitch tempo was very fast. In college, he was a pace of play enforcer. And there's a time when that's fantastic. But when you're somebody who mechanically is struggling, the tempo doesn't always help you. And so when he came back from the development list, there was a couple noticeable changes. One of them was that tempo. One of them was the location of the hands. Back in college, his first year in the pros, he used to bring his hands way up over his head before he broke. And now it's closer down towards the chest. He doesn't have his, his front foot as far back when he starts his delivery. It was a very kind of open stance. And now it's more there in line with the plate. And then he's not on the extreme first base side of the rubber. He's in the middle of the rubber. And so all of these mechanical changes that they've made, the handbrake, uh, the placement of the legs, things like that, it's a lot simpler. It's a lot closer to what he does out of the stretch. And the tempo really is a lot better. Now, he still struggles with needing to elevate the fastball and consistently being able to elevate the fastball. And that one start he had in AAA, of course, the way that AAA works, if you remember, they had the automated balls and strikes, and they were specifically working to not allow elevated fastballs. They were like making a point to artificially lower the zone on the ABS days. And so his start against Tacoma, three and a third innings, eight hits, three runs, four walks, two strikeouts. Two walks, four strikeouts, two home runs allowed. It didn't go well, but the mechanical changes that he has made have been better. And it has helped him be a better pitcher and a more consistent pitcher. The next big thing is going to be consistently disguising the curveball out of the hand. It needs to tunnel a little bit more so that you have that threat. Because a pure vertical breaking curveball is a weapon against both lefties and righties. If you disguise as well off of the fastball. And the problem is it doesn't. It's one of those curveballs. When it comes out of the hand, it pops up a little bit. You can see it is higher in its flight path out of the hand than the fastball is. So if he can disguise that a little better, he'll have the fastball, he'll have the curveball, he'll have the slider. Should help with some of the lefty home run issues uh, just by giving them another thing they have to watch for where they can't either sit slider or they can't like they can't just cover slider and attack a mistake fastball. Another pitcher that struggled a bit that we've got to figure out maybe exactly why and a lot of this is just refinement needed still is Jarlin Susana of the Washington Nationals. 17 starts in single A. He went 1-6 and six with a 5-1-4 ERA 
in 63 innings pitch. 62 strikeouts, so 8.9 per nine to 40 walks. It's 5.7 per nine and three home runs allowed. The stuff is fantastic. We've seen him run that fastball up to uh, 100 miles an hour. But the issue has been the command and the control. He gets behind in the count early. And so because of that, opposing hitters are able to lay off of the, the pitches that are borderline that would be a chase pitch and make him throw a strike. And he's not able to do it consistently enough to get the strikeouts and to uh, keep the walks down. Work to do there. Some of this is harnessing some of this physical stuff. He's 19 years old, but he is listed at 6'6", 235. And again, this fastball is a huge fastball. And so a lot of this is just a young player in full season ball for the first time trying to harness this stuff. I don't think it's as significant of a change as what Jack Leiter needed needed to do. I think it's more of this is a natural development issue that he's going to have to overcome. But either way, you can totally see where the stuff is very good once you get it to be in the zone more and you get it a little bit more consistent, you are good to go. In just a minute, I've got a former top catching prospect and a couple outfielders that really struggled this year. And we'll get to them next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Snap into the action during the MLB postseason with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. They've got not only picks for individual games in the wild card and in the wild card round, but they've got daily specials. As of time of recording, any player to hit a grand slam plus 460, nobody hitting a grand slam minus uh, minus 700. They've got over unders on total runs scored in all of the games on a specific day. Will there be a no hitter? Will anybody hit two home runs? Will every team hit a home run? Just tons of fun extra props around the wildcard series. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and enjoy the MLB postseason with FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, so looking at some of the top prospects who didn't have great years in 2023, one of the guys that comes up often in this is Dodgers catcher Diego Cartaya. At one point in time, he was seen as the number one uh, prospect for these Dodgers, one of their big milestone guys, and then struggled this year in double A. So 93 games in Tulsa. It's his age 21 year, so there's not an age to level issue here. And he's had injury issues in the past, so they tried to give him time off. He only played in 93 games, but 189, 278. 379, 19 home runs, 29 extra base hits, 37 walks to 117 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts at all. And the issues here for Diego Cartaya, like multiple. One, he was already seen as a guy that needed to do more work on defense to stick behind the plate. The offense was the carrying tool for Diego Cartaya, but he goes this year, he 
trying to work with this long swing. He's 6'3", 220. Long limbs, trying to work with this long swing and struggles to a 29% strikeout rate. He especially struggles against lefties. Against left-handed pitching this year, he batted 135, 226, 378. He had 19 home runs. Five of those were against lefties, but just really poor batting average, really poor on base. The slugging was virtually the same. And the quality of contact, you look at the 90th percentile and the max exit velos, a lot of that was the same for Diego Cartaya. The issue was a low batting average on balls in play, only 216, and then just really struggling, one, with breaking pitches in general, but especially against lefties, which is really weird. Because one of the things that everybody talked about for Diego Cartaya was he was really good with breaking stuff and he was really good against lefties. So it's odd that he's having all of these issues and he finished the season on the injured list. And part of me wonders, given the injury issues he's had in the past, he's had some back issues, he's had a hamstring strain, different things that have kept him off the field. Part of me wonders, was he playing through some injury in 2023? This is entirely speculation. I do not know anything. But what I'm trying to, the reason why this comes up is, one, you can see how at the trade deadline, Diego Cartaya not being the prospect that you thought he was, not only takes away from your ability to move him if you need to, like how they moved Kiebert Ruiz to get Trey Turner and and, uh, Max Scherzer, But also it means you're a little hesitant to move Dalton Rushing either because Dalton Rushing is your other low minors top pitching, uh, top catching prospect. And then you had an international guy and Thyron Lorenzo in the DSL who was playing really well at the same time. And you've got catching talent, but it's all lower in the system. And it's, you can't move Cartaya because his value dropped. But you can't move rushing in case Cartaya is not going to work out. And not a lot of folks are going to take Lorenzo because he's so young and it's so early. And so you can see how at the trade deadline, Cartaya struggling could have hampered them a bit. Uh, I think he's going to have to repeat double A. In the past, he was really good with velocity, really good with breaking stuff, could handle lefties. I remember watching him in a rehab start hit a home run off of Blake Snell. And, and so I don't exactly know what has to change or what he's going to have to do, but I expect to see Diego Cartaya back in double A next year. And he's already on the 40-man roster, so you're having to just carry that 40-man roster spot in double A. You were hoping he'd be up a little bit sooner, but Diego Cartaya's got to figure out that uh, shortening that swing and staying with that better level of pitcher that he sees in double A. Two outfielders that really struggled this year, and both of them in the same system, Robert Hassel III and Elijah Green, both of the Washington Nationals. So Robert Hassel spent time between A-ball and AA. 221, 324, 321. Nine home runs, 27 extra base hits, 68 walks to 161 strikeouts for Robert Hassel, and 15 of 20 on stolen bases. Most of his time, outside of the first month of the year, most of his time was in AA Harrisburg. If you're just looking at those stats, they're actually better than what he did in single A. But it's still 
a 225, 317, 324 slash line. It's still not great, right? And the issue for Robert Hassel, it's twofold. One, he's not getting impact when he hits. He's not hitting for power. And we knew he was going to have below average power, but I don't think we saw this level of power where his slugging is 321. I think we expected a slugging percentage probably around 400. And so that's been a struggle there. But then Robert Hassel against lefties has had a significant power outage. Okay, 195, 329, 221 slugging. In 137 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers, Robert Hassel had three extra base hits, and they were all doubles. He had a grand total of nine RBIs. Obviously, there is significant platoon issues with Robert Hassel, and it's a thing that you've got to figure out. We know he's not going to be a huge power masher, but we've talked about this before. You have so many other outfield options now in this system. Oh, I don't know, Dylan Cruz and James Wood, that you've got to figure out getting Robert Hassel. He's a center field probably only guy. He's not necessarily going to have the power to play in a corner. And so you've got to make it work in center field for Robert Hassel, which means, yes, the defense matters, and his defense is, I think, above average or so. Uh, But you've got to get more offensive impact. And if he can get to a 15-homer guy, then I think you're happy. I think you're happy with Robert Hassel if he can be a 15 home run guy at the major league level. Was some of this related to recovering from the broken hammock bone in his right hand he had in the Arizona Fall League? Maybe. It's why he spent the first month in single A and then went up to double A. But either way, you've got to figure out what's going on with Robert Hassel. The other guy, Elijah Green, we knew some of this was coming, right? 75 games in A ball for Elijah Green, and we knew he was a phenomenal athlete, right? His dad was not was an NFL tight end, so incredibly strong, incredibly fast, one of the better athletes in all of baseball, right? But we knew he had swing and miss issues. We saw it in his, he, we saw it in his final year of high school. He was at IMG Academy in Florida, was taken in the draft anyway, and then we saw him in the complex league. He hit had a, had a pretty good OPS, like OPS of like 950 or so, but also struck out like 40% of the time. This year, 75 games in A ball, 210, 323, 306. Four home runs, 18 extra base hits for Elijah Green, 45 walks to 139 strikeouts, and 30 of 35 on stolen bases. He is. Probably one of the highest ceilings of any player in the minor leagues. Elijah Green probably also has one of the lowest floors of any player in the minor leagues, simply because there are such significant questions about his ability to not even hit for power, just hit consistently, to make contact and to cut out the swing and miss. So Elijah Green. Going to need more time, obviously. And the hope is that given another full season and hopefully a full healthy season, he only played 83 games this year, a full healthy season, 
that he is able to look a little bit more to reach more of that power into games and, and, and give himself an opportunity to produce in all facets of offense. Even in the best month of his year in August, after he came back uh, from injury in those 17 games, 241, 405, 397. He still wasn't getting the power into games. We know the strength is there. Let's just get that into games. In just a minute, we've got a couple other top outfielders, and you can explain most of this away with injury, but we'll get to these guys next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs. You got to understand how fantastic these shorts are, right? They make you look good. They make you feel good. My son is in T-ball right now, and so I am going to T-ball with him two or three times a week. And of course, because I'm who I am, I'm a dad that's on the field. I'm helping out. I'm the catcher because they get three pitches before you pull the tee out, things like that. And I wear bird dogs. I feel comfortable. I feel great. I look great. They have this anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool, keeps you dry. Doesn't like it. You don't have to sacrifice movement because it, it, it stretches and moves how you need. And you look good in every single occasion. So Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB or enter promo code locked on MLB at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. It's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for a free water bottle at checkout. You will not want to take your bird dogs off. Okay, so a couple top outfield prospects that did not have the years that we hoped they would. But I think you can mostly explain this away with injury. And the big one here is Drew Jones, number two overall pick in the 2022 draft by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously, the son of Atlanta Braves, great Andrew Jones, and has had a really interesting injury-filled start of his career, right? So the weekend after being drafted, he's taking batting practice with the team labrum injury. It was the third consecutive year that the first round pick for the Arizona Diamondbacks had a labrum issue. I don't, that's weird. That's some sort of weird voodoo stuff. I don't know what's going on with that, but so he missed all of last year, did not play at all. This year, he gets some time in rookie ball. He spends time with both teams, Diamondbacks red and Diamondbacks black. And 29 games in low A Vizalia, but he also has to deal with a right quad strain and a right hamstring strain. So he ends up with 41 games played in his age 19 season. Now you're a year and a half behind the typical development timeline for Drew Jones. Now, in those games, in those 41 games, if you want the whole thing, including rookie ball, 238, 353, 327, two home runs, seven extra base hits. 26 walks to 45 strikeouts and 9 to 12 on stolen bases. A lot of this is rust, right? He just has not gotten a lot of opportunities to play competitive baseball while he's healthy. And so, again, developmentally, he's now behind. A lot of the tools that we see are still there, right? The arm still looks good. Still a plus arm. The speed is good. The defense is good. It's just something where he has to get reps, right? He has to be healthy. He has to be able to get into games so that he can 
work off this rust and then get to the development portion of his career. And hopefully you're hoping his second full season in the bigs that he can get more than 40 something games. But most of Drew Jones's issues and have been injury related, right? George Valera of the Cleveland Guardians is another guy who has dealt with some injury issues. He had a broken hammock bone, I think it was last year. And then he had another issue with that this year. So when they did the surgery for the broken hammock bone, they removed the hammock bone. And I didn't even know you could do that. They just took a bone out of his hand. I didn't know that was an option to fix it. But 73 games in AAA Columbus with the Clippers. 211, 343, 375. 10 home runs, 21 extra base hits, 50 walks to 85 strikeouts, and three of, sorry, one for three on stolen bases. Another situation where he got up to Columbus last year, he got, he looked better because he was healthy, and then he's missed a bunch of time with injury. I think he has a better power potential than we've seen. In the 40 games he got in Columbus last year, he hit nine home runs, 17 extra base hits, and had a slugging of 450. And so a lot of this to me is George Valera trying to recover from this injury, like trying to get over this injury and get back into form. He's played a bunch of, he's played all three positions. He's probably going to end up being a left fielder for them. And so you definitely, because of having better defenders, he's got to get the offense going and he's got to get the power production. It is a dire situation in Cleveland. You have got to have more power production in that lineup. I believe the Atlanta Braves one through five in their lineup had more home runs than Cleveland's entire roster did for the entire season. Maybe just Atlanta's one through four had more home runs than the entire Guardians roster. You've got to fix that. And then the other guy and somebody who gets a lot of not hate, but there's a lot of, I feels like prospect fatigue around is Zach Veen of the Colorado Rockies. I can't re- think, remember how many times I've heard somebody say, can we finally stop talking about Zach Veen now? He got 46 games in AA Hartford before a wrist injury in June shut him down, but he was playing through that wrist injury for most of it. And so it really sapped the power in those 46 games for Zach Veen, 209, 304, 308, two home runs, 11 extra base hits, 23 walks to 43 strikeouts, and 22 to 24 on stolen bases. He was able to steal and run just fine. His defense, for the most part, what I was able to see in Hartford, I didn't see a ton of Hartford's games, but from what I saw, his defense looked to be fine. He played uh, a lot of right field, some left, a little bit of center field, but he was mostly a right field option over there. I think he only had one error, had a couple outfit assists, didn't look bad, but something where the injury obviously was impacting his ability to swing the bat, was impacting his ability to get his power into games. And so that's why his performance was so down this year before he eventually went on the injured list and missed the rest of the year. You've answered some questions in Colorado. We talked about this last week. Nolan Jones has looked phenomenal. He was just named Rookie of the Month for the month of September by MLB. And you've got him. You have Brenton Doyle, who's given you fantastic defense and looks like he is starting to figure it out offensively or looked like he was starting to figure it out offensively as the season ended. And so 
like definitely something where if Zach Veen can get back onto the proper development track, he can be the kind of guy I could see a 20 home run guy who steals 50 bags and you can get him in your outfield. You can stick him in left field. He can be your left fielder, 20, 25 home runs. Again, 50 steals, Brenton Doyle in center, Nolan Jones in right. All of a sudden, you've got a pretty good defensive outfield. And that's not even counting Yankeel Fernandez, who is behind them, and other options in Colorado. I still think because of injury, I, I think the injury explains most of what happened with Zach Bean this year. And I think he can still get back on the proper development track. Fantastic week this week. Just a couple more shows to go. Reminder, if you have questions for the mailbag, if you have show ideas, segment ideas, now that the minor leagues are in the offseason, tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. I'm going to email, Discord, subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. 